You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. If you would be turning in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes. I had uh, put this together, not as a sermon originally, I put it together as a Bible study. My brother-in-law came within a few millimeters of death because of a blood clot, and in the hospital, uh, I asked him, I said, would you like to know what happens when you die? And he said, yes. And so we sat down over the kitchen table, and this is what I presented to him. I, before I begin, I want to thank you, brethren, for allowing me to present this lesson to you, uh, having the confidence in me. It's been a long time since I've seen some of you, uh, maybe 20 years, I think, Doug, since last time, well, 2002 is when I left Westside. Maybe I came back for a gospel meeting. Maybe we, we met then. But uh, usually we, we have Jay Horsley over in El Dorado, a uh, preacher's workshop every, every Sunday, but we, or every uh, uh, spring. But this last spring, because of the COVID, we decided not to have it. At any rate... Uh, I am thankful uh, for you all. Ecclesiastes 12, and the context of the 12th chapter is stated in verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. He's talking about old age, uh, those days that we have no pleasure in. And he goes on in verse 6, and he says, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. And he's using these illustrations to illustrate death. Uh, when our life ends, he says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. This is, this is what immediately happens at death. The, uh, the dust will return to the earth as it was. And you will recall, uh, if you want to go back to Genesis chapter 2, and we, we learn uh, from that passage, the first part there, that God made us, made the first man from the dust of the earth. He created man. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And... And so we know this from experience. It's from the past 6,000 years. Uh, we know what happens to the body at death. We know from grave robbers, from tomb robbers who are trying to steal the gold from the different tombs. We know that the body goes back to the dust from whence it came. But Solomon wrote here, that the spirit goes back to God who gave it. And so my body, as we know, as the Bible reveals to us, your body has two parts to it. We have the flesh and blood body, which obviously 
goes back to dust from whence it came. But the spirit part of man goes back to God who gave it. Genesis 1 and verse 26, And God said, Let us make man after our image. And we know from uh, John chapter 5, I believe it's verse 24, that, that God is spirit. Those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so I take that statement that my spirit goes back to God who gave it. God created me with the spirit. God gave me this spirit, this inner person, this thing which is inside me that is controlled by my brain, I guess. Uh, I've quizzed doctors on all of this uh, concerning life and my conscience and and not, not a one of them can give me a, a decent answer as to their understanding of it because they don't know. The spirit world is unseen. You can't see it. You can't hear it. You can't feel it. You can't smell it. It's out of our senses. Uh, it's something that will last forever. And so this spirit, it says, goes back to God who gave it. What does God do with it? What does God do with my spirit when I pass on from this life? Well, until Jesus came, it was pretty vague. It was mentioned in Bible study about King Saul and his episodes, and he was an ungodly man at the end, and even had a witch conjure up Samuel for him. And the Bible says Samuel came to Saul and and said, why would you wake me up? I was sleeping. I was resting. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But there was this idea of rest. And so Samuel was not annihilated at his death. But his spirit went back to God. And God did with it as he pleased. But like I said, until Jesus came, this was kind of vague of what happens after death. And in Luke 16, if you'll turn there with me, Jesus made it very plain what happens to that spirit when we go into the next level of our existence. And may I say, uh, since God is spirit, and since God created us after his own image, which is a spiritual image, is what I'm the way I understand that. And spirit has nothing to do with with flesh and blood or or this life, and therefore spirit cannot be destroyed. Spirit will not be destroyed. Jesus reveals to us what happens when when we pass from this life. Beginning in verse 19 and, and down to verse 31, I want to read the whole passage and I want to Make a few comments as I go down through here. Familiar passage to all of us. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. 
The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send into my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And it seems to me that Jesus here is alluding to himself at the end of that passage. There were many Jews who even though he did raise from the dead, and the evidence was proof positive that he did, they wanted to conceal it and hide it. And so some will just not believe. I want to begin comment on this. Uh, the man, the rich man who is not named, uh, who ended up in torments, uh, a place of excruciating pain, uh, the fire was tormenting him. We're, it's not listed as to what his offense was. We're not told that he was an extremely sinful man. It is revealed, however, that he had an opportunity to do a good thing for a poor beggar named Lazarus who was laid at his gate, desired to have the crumbs that fell off his table, but as far as we know, he never received them. And so perhaps this man's sin, well, I don't perhaps know not, uh, uh, James 4 verse 17, to him who knows to do good and, and does it not, to him it is sin. And so just by our neglect of helping someone. Jesus said uh, in Matthew 25 that those who would go to his right uh, were ones that gave him uh, a cup of cold water or or a, a little bit of food or some clothing when they were naked. And so when we neglect to do good, if we have uh, the ability, uh, then we must do so. And and this really should make us think. Another uh, observation from this text is that this man, this rich man, had a memory. He remembered life on this earth. Now he is dead. His body was decaying. And yet he still remembered the life on this earth. He remembered that he had a family. He wanted that to change their their destination. But they had everything that they needed. 
They had Moses. Let, him, let them hear Moses. Well, we have so much more today. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have so much more evidence of God's working in the redemption of mankind through his son Jesus Christ that they did not have in that old, in that old covenant. And so if they were not ex- uh, without excuse, neither, neither are we. There's no excuse. Now, uh, another passage that would kind of complement this, I believe, is Luke chapter 23 and verse 43. And this is, this is Jesus hanging on the cross. Of course, there were two thieves crucified beside him. And one was railing against Jesus. If you're the son of God, take yourself down and bring us with you. And the other thief railed back at, at the one thief and told him, we deserve what we're getting, but this man has done nothing wrong. And in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, Jesus looked at him and said, this day you will be with me in paradise. That very day. Kind of, I got to go back to Luke 16, and I see this as, this realm of disembodied spirits uh, that are waiting. And uh, that thief on the cross would be along with Lazarus, the way I understand this. And so how long, and by the way, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Roman Catholic Church gets their, their scripture for their doctrine of purgatory from Luke 16. Or so I've heard. But I've looked and I've looked at that and I just cannot see anything in there about praying somebody out of Hades. Um, it's just not there. And so how long does that spirit stay there? The only information that I have is that that spirit is going to stay in Hades in, in one place or another. Either you're going to be, have rest in Abraham's bosom or you are going to be in torments with the rich man. I, I see no in-between. There is no such thing as limbo. And so how long? 1 Thessalonians, if you will turn there, please. Uh, let's, not, let's wait a minute. Uh, let's turn to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9. Revelation 6 and verse 9. And I want to deal with something here. I, I've had discussions with people before, and I've read kind of debates, I guess, uh, about this idea of, of heaven. Uh, when do we get to heaven? Uh, it's been argued that Luke 16 was before the cross and that everybody went to Hades and then after the cross, then everybody goes to heaven that, that is, has done good, has, has done uh, their part as God has instructed them. But I, I read here in Revelation chapter 6 and in verse 9, and, and I'm just throwing this out there, I'm not dogmatic on any of this, uh, and... These are things 
that John was writing, the things of, that must shortly come to pass, written probably 96 A.D. And uh, this vision that he sees, when he opened the fifth seal, verse 9, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while uh, longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. And so, and all this was stated uh, before I read in Revelation 21 about the new heaven and the new earth coming down from heaven. The new heaven and the new earth, uh, my idea is that is the, the realm. That is the place where we will spend eternity uh, with our Lord and Savior and all the saints. And so we have here in Revelation 6, we have martyrs who were, were resting just a little while longer. There's going to be more to follow. And so they were, they were resting in a comfortable place, perhaps in Abraham's bosom, as we read in Luke 16. And for how long? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Please turn there. And uh, this is the only time, the only place that I know of, after uh, we died, that is spoken of, uh, that gives us any information whatsoever about these uh, disembodied spirits that have went on into Hades. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter chapter 4 beginning in verse 13 this is the, and these spirits are kept until the second coming of Christ. According to my studies this is this is how long they will be in this either restful state or in torments. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who have died, those who uh, are sleeping in death. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The second coming of Christ. Coming in the clouds. Coming with angels. Uh, uh, those who have died, the dead in Christ, will rise first. There will be living saints on the earth when Jesus comes again. They will not have to suffer death. They will be caught up after the resurrection. This is the resurrection. They will be caught up after the resurrection. 
And if we would go on and study 1 Corinthians 15, I have another study about the events of the last day, what takes place in that last day. And you know, we have so many uh, different ideas on this from the premillennial mindset, and even the premillennialists have their different ideas, many different aspects of that, that theory. Uh, uh, but we, on that last day, and we're going to look at some of those uh, uh, events that are going to take place here this morning, and uh, I think you're going to find out that all of this happens on the same day. The resurrection, uh, Christ's coming, the end of the world, and the judgment. It's all right there together, maybe in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know. But if you've noticed in this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul only deals with the righteous. He only deals with those who have died in Christ. What about those uh, like the rich man? What about those who have died outside of Christ or those who have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, the second letter, page to your right, or at least in my Bible, Paul deals with that. And again, I will say, and you start studying these passages, it all comes together in a very short period of time. First Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verse 8 or 6, beginning, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. Christians were being persecuted, uh, as if that's something new. Well, they will be repaid. Uh, and give to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. I believe this is the same day spoken of in the first letter in chapter 4. It's just the other side. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. And as Ben mentioned a little bit earlier, on that day, verse 10, every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And as Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, Every knee shall bow to him, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There will be no disbelievers on that great day. Uh, Notice, if you will, that God will be taking vengeance. Jesus will be taking vengeance, verse 8 in flaming fire, and he's going to take vengeance on those who know not God and on those who obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's talking about the atheists. He's talking about the ones who reject God. But he's also talking about those who may believe in Jesus. You take a survey across this country and you'll probably get a 90% uh, the, the number of people who believe in God and who believe in Jesus. Uh, yet you'll only get about 50% to believe in hell or less. But this 
these people who obey not the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's another sermon in its own. What does it mean to obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In Luke 6 and verse 46, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I do? What things, Lord Jesus? Everything written in this New Testament. If we don't know what's in there, we better, we better get to studying and to find out what they are. Because in John chapter, I believe it's uh, uh, 8 and verse 48, we're going to be judged by those words, by the words of Jesus. In flaming fire, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter deals with this uh, very plainly. There's no need to doubt what is going to take place. And this is in that day, uh, the same day. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It's going to be unexpected. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Uh, answer to that question is built in, isn't it? It's rhetorical. We know what we ought to be, what kind of persons we ought to be. And Paul spoke, as Christ comes again, Paul spoke of a resurrection, didn't he? He spoke of a resurrection of those that had died in Christ. And they would be caught up to, brought up to the Lord, the Lord will bring them with him, and those that are alive will be, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, no scripture ever talks about the Lord Jesus setting foot on earth again. You can't find it. It's not in there. Contrary to all these premillennial ideas. Uh, and, and, and what's going to happen? Well, Peter tells us that, uh, that the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. Paul said that when he comes in flaming fire... Is there a connection between those two? Is everybody going to be raised from the dead? And then God destroy the whole earth, the whole universe, make ready, making ready for a new heaven and a new earth? John 5, if you'll turn there with me, there's this idea of a, of a resurrection in that day. All those who died in Christ will be raised. Well, what about the, those who died out of Christ? Jesus addresses this. And he addresses it in the context of judgment. We've yet to look at that. But again, all this is so close together, all so tied together. Jesus said in John 5, uh, verse 25 beginning, Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. And I, he's talking about those who are dead in sins. The gospel was about to be preached. The time's coming, very close, when they can hear the truth. 
For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves, all, will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. This is in the context of judgment, is it not? Resurrection of life, resurrection of condemnation, they will be judged at this resurrection. So, let's look at the judgment of God. I want to notice that all will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11 Very quickly here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Notice that all will will come before this judgment seat, the the good and the bad. Uh, I, I have heard brethren say that, well, those that are in Christ, those that have obeyed the gospel, who will be going to heaven, they won't be judged. Well, that's not what this says. Now, it seems like a judgment has already been made. You read Luke 16. And to some degree, I believe that's right. I think at our death, I think we will know where we will go, whether to the right or to the left, as Jesus preached in Matthew 25. But there has to be a reckoning Why? Why are you going this direction? Why are you going this way? I think that's what the judgment will be all about. The basis of judgment, John 12, 48. I was wrong there. The words of Jesus will be the basis of the judgment. John 12, verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The words of Christ, just those words in red, right? No. The entire New Testament are the words of Christ. and So whatever he wants us to do, he's put in there. And so we best get studying to find out what they are. Finally, Revelation 20. Let's look at this this great day that will come after Christ comes, after the earth is burned up, after Satan's had his little heyday for a little while, and then then he is thrown into the lake of fire, along with the beast and the false prophet, uh, to be tormented day and night forever. Then comes, in verse 11, Then John said, I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Now I want to take notice right there. What is going to be part of the basis of this judgment? It is going to be works, isn't it? And so how can, how can denominational people tell me that works play no part 
in my salvation. You read just about every passage that deals with the final judgment. Uh, and it states, we go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and the very last verse of that book states that men will be judged by their works. So says uh, Revelation 20 and verse 12, that uh, will be judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up their dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead. There you go, there's where the rich man is in Hades. At this day, he will be delivered up to stand before God, before his Lord Jesus in this judgment. Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is the Gehenna uh, that Jesus spoke about when he was on earth. He spoke more about hell than anybody else. Um, Valley of the Son of Hinnom. There's another sermon for you too. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anyone not, whose name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It just came to mind I read in Revelation 3, if I can find it. My name can be taken out of the book of life. I can have my name written in the book of life, and I can have it erased. Where is it? I, I can't find it. Somebody help me. Verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. He who overcomes shall be clothed in, the, in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So our names can be blotted out of the book of life. We obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are added into that book. And so the question is, and this is the main point of the whole lesson. Is my name written there? Is my name written in the book of life? Can I know where I will end up in eternity? These are some very important questions. You know, some of the very principal questions that we ask ourselves in this life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going after this life is over? Need to be answered. The Bible answers them. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let us make man after our image, after our likeness. Ecclesiastes 12, the last couple of verses. Our purpose in life is to glorify our God. Where am I going after this life? We've just looked at it. Is my name written in that book of life? I am 
amazed at the people who, who don't ponder this while they're alive today until something comes up like near death and then I start thinking, wow, I need some answers. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word, God became flesh. He dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life. He offered up His own life, shed His blood to pay our sin debt because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it's not free. It's a gift. In the sense that I can't buy it, I can't give anything for it, I can't earn it. So in that sense, God gave it to me. It's His grace that provided the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am He, He who? The Messiah, the Christ. You will die in your sins. Jesus said, Luke 3, verse 3, after he quizzed the Pharisees, and do you think, do you suppose that those people who died when the Tower of Siloam crashed, do you suppose that they were worse sinners than other sinners, other people? Nay, lest you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 10, that if we will confess him before men, he will confess us before his Father. He who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father. Romans 10.10 connects confession with salvation. Acts chapter 8, verse 37, the Ethiopian eunuch saw water after he heard the gospel preached. He said, see, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip told him, if you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, then you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then they went down the water and he baptized him. Mark 16, 16, from the mouth of Jesus himself, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believeth not shall be condemned, damned. That takes away your sin. You're in a right relationship. You have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 goes a little bit further. We must be faithful unto death. In that context, it may have meant be faithful even though you lose your life for the Christian faith. But it's also true we must be faithful until the day of our death. If there's anybody here this morning that needs to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you've never confessed the Lord, if you've never considered the, the life after this life, uh, now's the time to do something about it. Confess Jesus as your Lord, repent of your sins, and be immersed in water. Perhaps you're a Christian, and perhaps you've wandered away. Your name can be taken out, blotted out of the book of life. Don't let that happen. Pray to God. Confess your sin, 1 John chapter 1. Repent of your sin, Acts chapter 8. And pray to God that He might forgive you that sin. When you do that, God is faithful and just to forgive you. We can help you in that, whatever matter. Uh, if you have that need, come forward while song leader leads us in a song.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.